Hi everyone, and Happy New Year. This is Peg Mulqueen with your first Ashtanga Dispatch podcast of 2017. Though here's the curious thing about this next interview. It actually took place well over a year ago. I found it while going through older interviews as I was putting together the third issue of the Ashtanga Dispatch magazine. You see, not all interviews make it to the podcast, mostly because of technical difficulties, like my internet. Anyway, I'm going through and pulling quotes from various interviews when I come across this one with Kathy Louise Broda from Purple Yoga in Honolulu, Hawaii. So I give it a listen, and the audio quality is pretty good. I remember how Kathy and I first met. A listener from Chicago wrote me an email asking me to interview Kathy. She said she'd just gotten back from one of her retreats and was really inspired. Now, I didn't know Kathy, but I let the student know I'd certainly try and reach out to her. And I would have, too, if Kathy herself didn't reach out to me before I even had a chance. She read a blog I wrote and was so moved that she called Christine Hoare to get my information, and the next thing I know, I have an email from Kathy just a few weeks after being asked to track her down. The universe is funny like that, right? Like just in case I didn't get the message the first time or the second time, as it turns out. Because after all that, you're probably wondering why I didn't immediately air it. And I know why. We talked about menopause. And it's not that I feel like this is a taboo subject or anything. It was just so incredibly personal to me at the time. I honestly needed time to let my own experience be what it was. And what it was, was tiring and confusing, and even embarrassing at times. Like the fact that all of a sudden, I was sweating in my yoga practice like I'd never sweat before. I remember a male teacher, a friend actually, chastising me out loud, playfully, about wiping my sweat. Because you're not supposed to, you know. And how deeply ashamed I was. I will never forget that moment. I didn't know why I was sweating so much. This was really new to me. I just knew that I felt embarrassed and confused and that my body was feeling more and more foreign to me. Of course, talking with Kathy helped, as did talking with other women like Christine Hoare. So I hope you'll forgive me in keeping this interview to myself for as long as I have. The good news is I'm ready to share this and more with you. I needed the time, but now you deserve mine. Thank you for being patient. Let's move forward. Here's Kathy Louise Broda. I feel like you have given me faith in the universe. Like getting the email from you after already receiving an email from a student um, somewhere else in the country asking me to interview you. Right. Right. That was, that was such a huge coincidence. And I, it was, um, crazy when you emailed me back. Cause when I read the thread, um, it made me so emotional and I'm so glad I called you. And I don't know. I, I think it was listening to Christine's message or, uh, some of what Christine had said, uh, reading what you had written about Nancy. I don't know why, but I just burst out crying. I thought I have to write to Peg. I don't know who you are. Uh, I contacted Christine. I called and left this kind of bumbling message on her phone. And then 
I came home and I thought, I'll look you up. And I found your email. I thought, I'm just going to, I'm just going to email her. So it was, um, it was so bizarre when you emailed me back and sent the message, um, the forwarded messages from the, from the student. And it was like, wow, talk about the universe kind of coming together. That was awesome. Talk about the universe coming together. I, when I saw your name come up in my email box, I thought, no, (laughs) right, right. No way. Um, and this student who had written me, and of course I've never met her before, but she felt so strongly that you needed to speak on a more public force. She said, I don't know what I can do to convince you. And I said, Oh, you don't have to convince me. You just have to connect me. (laughs) Right. Right. Yes. And, uh, yeah. And you were, um, her time with you was pretty life changing and that's what she wrote. Right. Yeah. It's interesting because we get a lot of visiting students that come from the mainland. We have Japanese students that come in. Um, and I don't know if it's our perspective or our experience, but we, there just seems to be a lack of information uh, when students come in. They're practicing and they're practicing well, but some of the foundations aren't there or they're there, but maybe they don't know that they're there and we have to kind of reinforce or explain more about, about what the foundations are. And when the student came in and we were talking to her, uh, some of the time she was, she just looked really sad sometimes. Sometimes she looked incredibly shocked. Um, she said a couple times that some of the things that I was saying to her, she had never heard before. And so I suppose part of my mission as a teacher is just from my experience of the things that I've gone through in my life, I feel like I have a lot of information for those individual students that come in and kind of sitting down with them explaining, do you know why you're doing this? Do you know what you're doing? Um, do you know why we need to do bandhas? Do you know why we need to breathe? So there's all these things that I just think that um, just those foundations that I don't know are explained because maybe there's too many students in the class and some, you know, maybe her where she was practicing before there's too many students. So the teacher doesn't have time. Um, but we spend a lot of time with our students really working on breath bandhas um, and getting them to understand, in a sense, why they're practicing. You know, what, what are you practicing for? Um, well, people just, ask that. No, it's not. It's a funny question. Why, why do you practice? Like, what is the purpose? For me, personally, I, um, I think I've, I've just been practicing so long, I don't know any other way. I've, I've been practicing since I was 24. Um, I'm going to be 50 this year. And it's the yoga practice has been the thing that I've done the most of in my life. Um, and it's made me the person that I am. So I don't know what I'd be doing if I wasn't practicing and now teaching, you know, the length of time that I'm, I've been teaching. I don't know what else I'd be doing. I had a different career path before I started yoga. Um, and I don't know, it just kind of took over my life in a really good way. And it's been the most consistent thing in my life. So the practice, uh, when I get on my mat, it and then when I finish practicing, in a sense, it, it makes me a better person. It makes me be able to handle what I'm doing throughout the rest of my day. Um, and then in terms of teaching, 
I love teaching because I love helping people to find the quiet, find the stillness, deal with their stuff, um, take some of that, whatever they find on their mat and try and apply it into their lives. Cause that in a sense, what I, is what I've done. Um, can you take me back? You started when you were 24. Yeah, I started in 1989 and, uh, this is where Christine and I kind of come together. I started, I think I started a few years before she started. I met, uh, Beryl Bender Birch and Tom Birch, her husband, and I started really just, I was curious and, um, I just wanted to do something in this place called the Open Center. I think it was called the Open Center in New York City. They did Tai Chi and art classes and meditation and yoga. So I was like, oh, yoga, I'll do yoga. And I walked into their class and I just fell in love with it. And then I haven't really stopped since other than for having kids. Um, so that was 1989. And then I did, I did kind of two years of practice with them. And then they started, there was a small group of us, I think it was about maybe 10 or 11 of us who they asked, do you guys want to do some sort of teacher training or apprenticeship? And it was all very, very loose. And we did a couple retreats over two summers. Um, I started shadowing them in classes where I would go up. They were the New York Roadrunners Club's um, uh, marathon runners. They were like the exercise people and they did yoga for the marathoners. Um, so I learned how to adjust very tight guys, marathon guys. Um, and so I, I basically just started shadowing uh, Beryl and Tom for about a year or so. And then part of the the training was, well, go and start your own class. So I started my own class and I rented this really dirty little place down somewhere, somewhere down below Soho in New York. Um, and it was like my boyfriend and my sister and my sister's friend. They were my first three students. <laughs> and then from there, I just kind of, I just, I ended up taking over some classes of um, Beryl and Tom's, started covering classes. Uh, and then, I don't know, it just kind of went from there. And uh, then I moved to London and I was teaching in London. Then we moved here and we set up our studio here. So it's just kind of been this, I don't know, I, I'm just... I don't know why I'm here. <laughs> I just am. It's just been life has kind of taken me on this journey. And all of a sudden I'm sitting and I'm like, wow, I've been doing yoga a long time and teaching a long time, you know? Um, and then along the way, meeting cool people like Christine and David and, you know, all the people that, uh, yeah. you know, I know, but I know them from when I lived in Europe. I met all of these people when I lived, when I was living in London. So do, so was Beryl your only teacher? So I studied with Beryl first, and then after Beryl, um, Katabi Joyce came to New York in uh, 1993. That was his first New York trip. And right before he came, I started practicing with David Life, and David had started a Mysore program. So um, I was taking Mysore classes with him, and then he said, oh, there's this Indian guy named Katabi Joyce who's coming. You have to come and study with him. Uh, so they were hosting him at Jiva Mukti. So that's when I met Patabi Joyce. Um, and then when I moved to London, I was practicing for a good maybe two or three years just by myself because I didn't have a teacher. And one of my friends had said, oh, there's this guy named John Scott. You have to go and find John Scott. And I was like, who's that guy? And she said, well, he he's the guy who's, who did the drawings. And I was like, oh, I had those drawings from David Life. So I knew John via his drawings that were in Lino's book. Um, so I found John and then 
started studying with him. And somewhere in there, I can't remember, it was about maybe 1996, I, Nancy Gilgoff happened to be in London because her daughter had moved to London. And another friend said, you got to meet this woman named Nancy Gilgoff. She's from Maui. And I was like, okay, cool. So I took a workshop with her. So at one point, John and Nancy were my teachers. And now, since I've moved here, um, I consider Nancy, Nancy to be my main teacher now. Um, she's like the person that uh, keeps me in check <laughs> with my own practice and my teaching. Yeah. Did you ever make it to Mysore? I went to Mysore twice. I, I went in um, 19, I think it was around 1999 I went for my first trip. And then I went again after we moved to Hawaii, um, right before we opened our studio, I went and studied. And that was, that would have been 2000, somewhere around 2002. Um, and then, and then I had kids. So I had my first daughter in 2003. So I'm here. <laughs> and then you had kids. And, and then I had kids. Yeah. I have to tell you, do you know how rare it is for me to talk to a teacher, um, yeah. a, a, a woman yes. who's a mom. Yes. Yeah. There's, there's a few of us out there <laughs> that have kids. Um, I have three kids. I have an 11 year old and then I have twins that are going to be nine in about a week and a half or almost no, in a week they'll be nine. So I have three girls. Yeah. So my life from 2002, um, it's been about, I, you know, I, I teach, but then as soon as I walk out the door, I'm a mom and I, you know, do the mom thing. Can we, can we talk a little bit about the mom thing? Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, well, first I want to ask, what do your kids think of yoga? Um, they, they do gymnastics. Yeah. So, and we've never pushed the yoga practice on them. Um, they do, my first daughter Coco was, she started coming into the studio when she was about probably four or five months old. Um, and when I went back to teach and my husband would bring, bring her in and we'd kind of tag team a little bit. So she was very used to being in the studio, kind of would crawl around. And so, um, she saw us teaching the most. My twins haven't been into the studio that much. Um, but probably a year, maybe two years ago, they would come in, say, on a spring break. I mean, Glenn and I swap times in the mornings. I teach first, and then he teaches. So he would bring them in, and then one of my daughters, Leela, and Cole would be like, Mom, can we do some yoga? So I'd roll the mats out, and the three of us would do maybe 15 minutes or so. Right. Um, but we've never kind of made them do it. They've yes. seen us do it, and but they do their own thing, and I, we've always joked with them that we'll become, you know, when they're teenagers, they're going to be that, we're the, we're the weird parents that do yoga, and they'll just probably roll their eyes at us. Um, but then I think eventually I imagine they'll probably look into what we're doing and, you know, we're always encouraging them, but because they do gymnastics, they're really physical in their bodies. So, um, I don't think that it's like if they're, if they're interested and they want to, when they're older, they're more than welcome to come and practice with. <laughs> you know? My daughter's 22 and she's like, I mean, she practices yes. um, when she wants to. So, right. Right. So like yeah. this week she's doing the week with David Kyle and she practices right. with me when she's home. And then when she's on the road, sometimes she does and sometimes, but it's always there. And yes. that's why I always tell her, but, but I've never like you, I've just never pushed it. Right. Right. Um, I figured that it, they're around us enough and they see 
and certainly the way we reference the world is all through yoga. So in one sense, they're getting, you know, that living yoga side. So that's plenty. I think it's great too. Great. Now let's go the other part, just being a mom. I'm, you notice that I'm, and I say that I don't have many, um, first of all, I don't have very many female teachers. Yes. That I'm around a lot. I have a lot of amazing, uh, male teachers, you know, and nurturing and, and amazing, um, taught me so much and teach me so much. Right. But you know, before I had even met Christine, I was complaining to David Kyle last year. I was like, you know, I miss like having a woman, a strong woman. I need a role model. And, you know, and he's like, Peg, you're doing that. And I'm like, no, I want someone else. Yes. I want someone that's been doing it longer than me. And I will turn 50. This is, I'm 49. I just turned 49. So I'll be 50 uh, next year. And, um, I know that that has a lot to do with it, but it has something to do with it. I think it's a huge, it's a huge time in our lives being in our late forties. Um, and I think that it's, it's the last couple of years since I've be, I've gone into kind of perimenopausal stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and since going into that time, I have looked back at my teaching and my practicing career and realize that it's like, I, I knew stuff. And then each stage you like childbearing years, it's like, okay, I know a little bit more now kind of exiting the kind of fertile time of our life or my life. I'm looking back and going, Oh wow. I really understand a, a huge amount. And it's kind of become a bit of a passion for me that ex that explaining that, uh, explaining our journey telling women that they're not alone. Um, you know, it's really easy when you're in your twenties and you're practicing and you don't really see the kind of the walls that you're going to hit. And I have a number of students who, you know, they're choosing not to have children. So they're there, but they're still going through their mid thirties and they're going to hit forties and then they're going to hit their the perimenopausal and they're going to hit menopause. So we're all going through that. Um, and, I, I guess I'm the same as you. I've never really talked to Nancy Gilgoff about this, so I don't know really what, how, how she went through life or went through these years. Um, so it's, it's, I feel like I'm this walking experiment. And each stage that I go through, I'm like, okay, I need to tell women about this. And then the next stage, I'm like, okay, i got to remember that, and I have to tell them about that thing. Um, and... So when I was, when I was having babies and practicing, that was where I was. Now I'm going through perimenopausal things and that's where I am now. So I feel like I have a lot of information. And then that I've had, I had a single baby, I had twins. Um, I had a, a kind of natural delivery with the twins. I had a C-section. I had a miscarriage between the first pregnancy and the twins. So it was like, I feel like I've had this huge experience kind of life experience of all these different things that have happened to me personally. And so I can relate to many, many different women. And it's so, and I think that was one of the things of talking to the student who came to visit, visit us from, I think she was from, she was from Chicago was that some of the stuff I was telling her, she, I think she'd only had her, her main, I think her main first teacher was a male teacher. Some of the stuff I was talking to her, again, it was that kind of really emotional because she's like, I've never heard this stuff. 
And the fact that I'm a woman telling her these things kind of blew her away. Um, and so I think for that reason, I feel like I'm kind of finding my soapbox. I'm finding my platform. I'm finding the, the people that I want to talk to. Um, and I'm happy to talk to anybody that will listen, you know, just to share. Um, I taught a workshop. So I developed a, a women's workshop which I've taught a few times and I, I taught it last weekend and just getting together with women, taking them through all these different stages, explaining the different stages of how we travel through from adolescence through puberty, um, through these middle parts and then beyond. Uh, it's just an, I think it's an eye opener for women to be able to look at our kind of the lifespan of how we practice on, at, at all these different stages in our lives. Um, and then it's also looking back at how you became who you are. Who was I before I hit puberty? Because that informs then how you move through your 20s and 30s. Um, my whole understanding and my whole experience is how I entered puberty is how I'm going to exit through menopause. So it really is a mirror for each other. We have to kind of go back and look. Um, so it's like there's there's so many there's so many different levels from just how like first how we practice um, as female practitioners to what do we practice at these different stages <laughs> in our lives um, to being really compassionate with ourselves when things are really hard and not to kind of give up and say oh that's it I'm never going to do that again because in my life now I am so much stronger than I was before I had kids. I am so much stronger now, kind of in spirit, but also in my practice, in my body. But the main thing that's the most difficult thing is it's not consistent because hormonally I'm all over the place. So I have to be incredibly uh, forgiving and compassionate and incredibly patient with myself. And that's one of the things I see with women as they're aging is a lot of women are they keep pushing themselves. And there's a point where you can push yourself into your mid-40s. But when you start to have hormone shifts, you start to push and you can injure yourself. So you have to start to pay attention to all these shifts so you don't injure yourself. But then you're dealing with the frustration and the anger, and I used to be able to do that, and then the next day you can do it, and then I'm really tired, and then I have a long period. There's so many issues that we go through. I'm looking at your face. Oh, my God. Where the fuck have you been all my life? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> See, but I, but I was like, where have I been all my life? I've been traveling through it, and I'm not, I have to say, I have not been ready to really talk about this stuff until really the last couple of years. Because I'm that walking experiment. I, I'm, I'm really good at teaching what I experience. So that's the other thing. As a teacher, I teach what I've experienced. I can't teach what I haven't experienced. So in my mid-30s, I was teaching mid-30s stuff. You know, and when I was having babies, it was like I was really good at teaching that stuff. But now that I'm, I'm through all of that and I'm kind of going into this other place, I've had, I started perimenopausal stuff around 40 probably 43, 44, where things just started to go a bit funny. Uh, my cycle started to be a bit weird. It was a little bit more inconsistent or I was having long periods. So it was kind of at 43, 44 that it started. And then I was got slammed the last two years, just slammed up against the wall. Me too. And so 
I, I joke in my workshops that, um, I had, I had women that I was teaching kind of where we are in our age, mm-hmm. a eight years ago. And I used to look at them and go, Oh my God, you're so lazy. You're inconsistent. You're moaning. I was really mean. Now that I'm in it, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry to all those women who I had those thoughts in my head or I'd be like, what's wrong? You know, yesterday you were great. Today you can barely stand on your mat. So now that I'm in it, I realize I had no idea. I had, I just didn't have it because I hadn't experienced it. Now that I've experienced it, I'm like, oh dear, I, you know, I have to, I have to learn how to teach again. Um, so I know how to teach the 20 somethings. I know how to teach the 30 women and then the pregnant women. Now I'm learning how to teach the 40s and kind of into 50s. And then I have a couple students who are mid-60s. I have one student who's 69. And again, they're blowing my idea of what we can do, what we should do, um, how we should practice. I've got one woman who's 66 who is doing Pinchamayarasana now and can drop back and stand up. Now, 10 years ago, I would have been like, ah, no, you're not, you're never going to do that. Now I'm like, no, let's go for it. You know, let's keep you in that really strong place. Cause that's where I want to be. I don't want to give up at 50 or 55 or 60. No. Well, I love what you just said, because that was what I've been feeling. I feel really, I actually feel pretty strong. Um, I feel pretty inconsistent. Yes. I, you know, I, I, (laughs) yeah. In my head, I'm like the cons- the most consistent thing in my practice and in my life now, right now, is that I'm inconsistent. <laughs> I keep thinking that I'm consistently inconsistent because because I don't know what what I'm going to be when I'm practicing, and and then it's it's hard because I practice I teach first in the morning and then I practice um, with my husband session. So there's some days when I'm in with the students and I'm like really strong and I feel awesome and it's great. And then the next day I walk in, I can barely do anything. So I feel like I'm not like the finest example. So, you know, people are always like, Oh, Kathy Louise is practicing. Let's watch her. I'm like, no, don't watch me because I don't know what it's going to be today. Um, when it's good, it's like, it's good. But when it's not good, I can see people are like, gosh, how come she can't do that? I'm like, well, it's just today. That's today. I am here. I'm on my mat. Thank goodness. A student asked me yesterday, she said, I was watching you do, she's a new student, I was watching you do your dropbacks and I noticed that you move your feet a lot. Right. <laughs> yes, I do. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah okay. it's, I, I haven't, you know, it's, it's been a long month this month. And <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. I'm working yeah. on it. Yeah. And I, I think that, and I think as female teachers, um, there's a lot of expectation on how we practice. So then it goes to my, my kind of passions, the woman side, but then there's that, the practice side, um, the kind of technique of how to practice what we're doing when we're practicing. And I feel like there's a lot of teachers and I probably was one of those teachers as well, 10 years ago that you've got to kind of do it this way. And there's not a lot of give. So, but we all have different bodies and we all are different, different ages. We've had different life experiences. Um, we're going through different emotional things, different times of our lives. So again, it's that consistent, inconsistent, consistent that there has to be a little bit of give. And I always tell students in a perfect world, 
We want our feet perfectly straight, but we don't live in a perfect world. You know, in a perfect world, I'd love March Asana D on the right side and left side to feel exactly the same, but I know that my hips aren't the same. My right side is not as open or there's some structural imbalance in my right side. So I can't be down on myself if the right side is not as good as the left. So again, in a perfect world, so, but we don't live in a perfect world. So, you know, you have an argument or you ate too much last night or your kids were sick or, um, a number of kind of maybe you can say excuses, but I don't think they're excuses. I think they're just living. There's so many things that get in the way of consistency. So we're trying to be consistent and we're trying to practice in this like quote unquote perfect way. But, um, that's where I think people get in trouble. I should be doing it this way because my teacher said, or I should be doing it this way because the person next to me is doing it perfectly. Um, but it's like, there has to be some flexibility, not just in our bodies, but flexibility in how we approach the practice, how we approach our bodies. Um, so I think that's, that's, that's the other side of when I'm teaching of really telling people, it's like, pay attention. Don't just go because you think you should. Right. Don't just do it because somebody said you should, because if, if you're just doing what everybody else or what I should be doing, you might end up injuring yourself because you're not paying attention. And then yoga becomes this huge pressure, which is just another life pressure. Instead of it being something that relieves pressure, it becomes another pressure. I must perform this asana perfectly. And if I don't perform it perfectly, then I'm a bad person. And I'm like, you're not a bad person. You just didn't do it right today or you didn't do it perfectly today, but you've got tomorrow. And you've got next year and 10 years. And so I'm like, I've got the rest of my life to make it perfect. <laughs> and, and even if it doesn't get perfect, it doesn't really matter. Because I'm a much better person for standing on my mat. No, I had somebody just texted me, um, a student from uh, outside the state had just texted me. And she had had spinal fusion surgery. And oh, wow. it, it's been she, severe uh, spinal issues. But... Today, she got on her mat and did the standing. And this right. was the first, and she was so excited. I was like, ah, and I, you know, I said, awesome. And she said, yes, but it was modified. It doesn't matter. It <laughs> doesn't said, matter. <laughs> I said, yeah. we're all modified. Right. <laughs> if my foot turns out, I've modified. If I right. take an extra breath, I'm modified. I'm modified, yes. Um, yeah. But we do have this idea. And I do think sometimes... The system can be set up and certainly, um, you admitted it. And I think that's like amazing that you admitted that in your early years, we can be a little less compassionate to the, yes. I mean, yeah. and me too. I mean, totally. I think that I have found my softer side by mm -hmm. actually coming face to face with vulnerability and, um, right. you know, you have to experience, you can't teach what you haven't experienced. Right. And that's, in a sense, the lucky thing for us is that we are, we are continuing to practice. So we are continuing to have to face ourselves. Um, and then it's through that standing on your mat and facing yourself, then I can teach and understand what other people are going through. Um, you know, it's, I always tell people it's great. Injuries are, they're, they're a pain and um, you don't want, yeah, you don't want to be injured, but they're a great learning lesson of either what you were doing or where you were in your life or, um, 
the things that we can, you know, work on so we don't go back into the injury. You know, it's like there's so many, there's so many layers to the practice in terms of just living, um, experiencing our, our age that we are, the level of practitioner that we are, whether you're a beginner or an advanced. And it's like, whether you're a beginner or advanced doesn't really matter to me because we're all doing the same thing. Yeah. So there's many, you know, there's, there's many things that are, uh, that are hard in the practice, but it's like getting on your mat. I went, after I had my first daughter, um, my husband would just say, stay at the studio and just roll out your mat and practice before you come home. And there would be some mornings I'd roll the mat out. Everybody, everybody would be gone. I'd roll my mat out. I'd stand on my mat. I'd do the chant and I'd lie down and have Shavasana. Like I stood on my mat. I rolled it out. I did the chant. And then it's like, I did a sun salute. And then it's like, wow, I did 20 minutes. But to expect myself to start do the chant and do my whole practice right after having my first daughter. It was like, that wasn't going to happen. But so I always tell people, it's like, just roll your mat out. Nancy, Nancy says that Nancy Gilgoff says that she's like, just put your mat out, do one sun salute and then do another one. And then maybe you've done five Then maybe do a sun salute B. And then she's like, and then, Oh, maybe I'll just do some of the standing posture. And she said, you might just find you do the whole thing. But if you put on top of yourself, I must do everything today. You probably won't. And you'll probably just be so sad. And I'm like, I, I don't want people to be sad about their practices. And I don't want them to be frustrated or angry that they're either not where they were or they're not where everybody else is. And so that is, that's the, just being patient um, with ourselves. We're always teaching people to be patient. There's no rush. You know, no, you can say that, but that, and that brings us like so much suffering, you know, like sometimes I, I look and, and, I realize that some of them have lost the, they're losing joy when we, yeah. when we, um, when they experience the practice in that way, in a real rigid or right or wrong, or, you know, can or can't, um, right. they lose the joy. So to me, that's the teacher's, res- that's my responsibility to keep that alive, to yeah. keep that, uh, in check. Um, and that, you know, we're guiding the students through this practice and we have to be able to help them when you see somebody kind of hitting their head up against the wall. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you have to keep hitting your head up against the wall. And sometimes we let people, you know, it's like, just keep banging your head there because one day you're going to turn around and go, why do I need to do that? And then you stop and you're like, oh my gosh, I've been doing that for so long. And it's often... It's not the practice. It's not the asana. It's the person. So they walk out the door and in their life, they're banging their head against a wall, you know, and coming up against um, difficulties. And sometimes you have to, it's like you have to get through the difficulty to get to the other side. Because otherwise, in a sense, you are, you're like chickening out. Every time you get to that hard place, you kind of run away. It's like, well, no, sometimes we have to face the really hard stuff. But when you face it, And then when you break through it and you can look back and go, wow, I just spent a year in this really frustrated place. And in hindsight, I maybe didn't need to do it that long or no, I needed to do that because now I'm free of that stuff and I can move forward. And there is the change. So there has, you know, we're always encouraging people. It's like there's, there, things will change, but the change is often really, really difficult. 
And it's not just the asana change or my hips are, my hips need to open change. It's life changing. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people don't expect from practicing yoga. No, I, I remember last year and it's just so funny because David Kyle was here at my house last year and he's, you know, here again this year. And last year I was like on this kick and I told you I was looking for women and I'm like, I want someone to take care of me. I want someone to teach me. I want, you know, someone ahead of me and I want to look to a woman who's been, you know, <laughs> and, and just, I wanted that female role model and, you know, I was looking actively and <laughs> not, and, and coming up with amazingly generous and kind, nurturing men. And like, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Yes, yes. And he was like, you, you really need to start looking at yourself. And right. I was like, whatever. Um, yeah. and yeah. so I kind of forgot that conversation. And then I said to him the other day, I was like, you know what? I am in charge of my practice right now. I don't know. My life is changing. I am just taking it day by day. I roll out my map, but I'm in charge and I'm listening to me and I'm doing what helps me and holds me and nurtures me and I'm becoming that nurture. I'm nurturing me. I'm mothering me. I'm teaching me. I'm letting experience. It's really hard to get to that place. Jeez. And he goes about fucking time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, but I was really, but I was in a lot of suffering looking outside of me. I really was. And I'm not saying, I mean, obviously I've been practicing for a little while. And so, but I, but I was looking for other people to fill something and it was creating a lot of misery because then, you know, I was practicing third series. Yeah. And, um, it just was too much for me. Right. Right. Um, I, I could do my practice, right. But I couldn't do anything else for the rest of the day. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I mean, that's like, you might not do it fully or you might not do it for a while, or you might kind of dabble in it here and there, but it will come back, you know, and that's the thing that, uh, trusting that it, something, something, some manifestation of your third series will come back at some point. I have, um, couple of women that when I taught the women's workshop who were again, mid sixties, close to seventies, who said that once you get through menopause, it's kind of cruisy. Everything just kind of gets very neutral. Really? And I'm like, really? I can't wait for that time. Right. And they're, and then in a sense, they're kind of proving it, but they said, but it's harder because we're older. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't recover as quickly. Things are hard. You know, I have to take a little break. I can't, or I can't do it. I can't be again, consistent in my strength. Um, but it was, it's been nice teaching older women and looking at them and going, yeah, it is there. It is there. We're just going to be older. Um, and that's frustrating. I think for, for guys, their trajectory is kind of, they just keep going up. And maybe that's our frustrating time with male teachers is that they don't get the up and down. Um, my husband said a, a few months ago, um, because he adjusts me every day, some days I'm really fluid and then other days I'm like a rock. And it's like he kind of got it. He's like, wow, you're really tight today. And I'm like, yeah. And, you know, it's like you saw what I ate. 
You know what time I went to bed. You know what my stresses are. And yesterday was great. And today I'm really stiff. So it's like he's he's beginning to understand it. So I'd say an average average male practitioner, average male uh, teacher, male teacher, they don't really understand what we're going through. And it's really hard because it just sounds like this list of excuses. It's- I love the way you say that because that was what I was talking to a male friend of mine. I said, it's almost like a male path is a straight line and it doesn't yeah. have to go shooting up, but it's, no. a, it's pretty much a yeah. steady progression. But I yeah. feel like I've got a squiggly line and I'm progressing too, but mine's squiggly and yeah. it makes detours and like, yeah, yeah, it's still going. I mean, but it's uh-huh. not as right. straight yeah. as yeah. theirs. Well, okay. So he and I were having this conversation and I'm going to like dive into some kind of specific stuff. Yeah. Since I have opened up and kind of talked about some of the stuff that I've been struggling with as a woman, um, perimenopause, menopause, whatever it is, uh, definitely took me by surprise and knocked me on my ass. Um, but (laughs) I'm, I'm, spring is here and I'm, I'm feeling like got my energies a little bit back up, but anyway, but it was good for me to share like I do. And I didn't really plan on it, but yeah. I shared emails have poured in emails right. from women of all ages. Right. And one of the things that keeps coming up over and over from early thirties. Um, and, and this is surprising to me. They've stopped menstruating. Right. They're not getting their periods. They're not, they, they, they don't have an eating disorder. This is not, and, and they're actually concerned. Right. So my question is kind of twofold and I don't even know if you have an answer or we can just discuss it. But one of them is I had no idea that so many young women were not having menstrual cycles anymore. And right. they were making the connection between beginning in a Shanga practice and this, right. the other part is they're writing to me about it and <laughs> yeah, yeah. And not their teachers. Right. Right. Yeah. The whole, this, this side of things is, it's, it's hard for me to understand because I've always been very, very, I've been very regular. Um, I never have not had a period other than in the last few years where my cycles have gotten really long. Uh, and I, and starting in my mid twenties and then going through up to, I had my first daughter, at, I got pregnant at 37. I think I had her at 37 or 38. Um, up to that point, I, everything was very, very regular. The, the thing that um, the thing that I think I got in balance was I didn't get super skinny. Um, I had my first teacher barrel basically said, Oh, you can practice through your period. It's okay. I think since then she has suggested to women that they should take time off the first couple of days of their period take off. Um, when I met John Scott, he was the one who said, you're here every day. Do you not have a menstrual cycle? And I said, yes, I do. He said, why are you here? Why are you practicing? And I said, well, because, and he said, I recommend that you take time off. And I got quite angry that a male teacher was telling me when I, when I could and should or shouldn't practice. 
um, after kind of getting over that initial, like, that's none of your business, I thought about it. I thought, no, I am, I am different. I should take that time off and that's my time to be quiet or I'll practice at home and do something really quiet. And so I kind of started to honor that. Um, the main thing with all of my teachers have is that they, they were never very pushy. Um, they never pushed me to do something. It was always just, um, slowly, slowly. It's like one thing at a time in the sense, Guruji said, you know, one by one, just one step at a time. And I think that what's happening with women now is they're practicing really hard from the beginning and perhaps losing weight, losing too much weight. Um, cause if you lose weight, you lose fat. If you're losing fat, your body basically says, okay, I don't have any reserves here. What can I shut down? I'll shut down my menstrual cycle. Um, so, and I, I'm not a medical professional, but this is just my feeling is that a lot of women are just practicing too hard. And in a sense, also then putting themselves under a lot of pressure to perform asanas really, really well. And that's where I think I'm realizing is that, I mean, in our, in our community, Mm -hmm. the guys, they, they take ladies holiday. I mean, they think they're like, they're like, we want, we're, I'm going to take, I'll get an email. I'm not going to be in for a few days. I'm going to spend some time with, you know, my family. I'm going to take my version of, you know, men. So they're in 18, but in other words, they're very, uh, a very nurturing, it's a very nurturing and well, it's women me included, right? I mean, this is, I'm telling you, I'm developing my softer side. We're pushing ourselves. Like I don't feel that. I don't feel that from the male teachers that I work with at all, at all. And, and even the men that I practice with in community, not right. But yes, yes, we are, we are pushing ourselves. We are pushing ourselves. Yes. Yeah. And I think that then uh, as a teacher, it's then my responsibility to kind of just get people to mellow out the women who are practicing too hard to mellow out, you know, to take, to take some time off, um, to pay attention to your cycle. Um, I was going to say something and I completely blanked. I can't remember what I was going to say, um, about pushing ourselves that, Oh, so, um, my feeling with menstrual cycles and things, I suppose menstrual, menstrual cycles stopping, it, to me it's very food related. I have been very middle of the road with my eating habits since I started yoga. I don't do uh, any extremes. I'm like, I do a little bit of everything. I find that the women that, that start to cut out food groups um, in this, in the name of yoga, perhaps are again, starving themselves. They're not eating enough good, wholesome food. And this practice, it's a strong practice. You need to be eating strong, good food, warm food. And so to me, that could be an issue that, that, uh, kind of, again, in the name of yoga, we're like, Oh, I must eat this. I must eat this way. I'm like, well, if you're not having your periods, you might consider eating a little bit more food. I did have one woman, one friend that I knew in Japan 
and she was super skinny and confessed, I haven't had a menstrual cycle in like two years. So I said, well, you should probably start eating a little bit of fish, eat some more protein. Um, you might need to eat a little bit more fats, good fats. Uh, you might want to go see and do some acupuncture or some sort of healing work. And so we, we kind of just talked around it basically. And about a year later, I went back and she's like, you know, I put weight on, my periods came back, and I'm feeling great. So it was simply eating more food and not being so thin um, helped her. It's like eating some good fat food, <laughs> which, you know, we're all so concerned about, well, what time should I eat and when should I eat and what should I eat? And it's just like, oh, you guys just mellow out. You know, uh, it's, it's, it gets everything. I think because Ashtanga is quite an extreme practice, it can be quite extreme, then everything goes to extreme. So then everything to me would go into disorder. And I'm like, the yoga practice should not send your life into disorder. You should be happy on your mat. You should be happy in your life. If, if it's difficult, if everything is so difficult outside off your mat, then something's in disorder. You kind of have to look at that, you know. And um, I'm like, I want everybody to be happy. So we have to look at these things. We have to look, what are you eating? If it's really serious, I have a couple students who have, they're doing all the right things and then they're still not menstruating. Um, it's like, go see, you need to go see what your endocrine system's doing. You need to go see an endocrinologist to figure out okay, what is going on, what, are, what hormones are going on, what's not going on. And that is beyond yoga. You know, that could be something else. Um, so there's, you know, kind of two things to look at. I did not realize how much stress affects all of this. Call me silly or naive, um, but so my path went, I got home, um, we live in Montana during the summers, and so I came back to D.C., a little high stress, and yeah. we're putting our house on the market, and, you know, my son is, this is last year in high school, so we're getting ready to move and get ready to put the house on the market. This is our last year here, and I came home, and I was exhausted. And I thought, oh, this is it. And I stopped menstruating. I'm like, it's it's menopause, absolutely right. menopause. As you know, my practice was exhausting me. I just thought, oh no, this is the beginning of the end. This is how you go. Like, <laughs> this no. is it. This is no. how I go. Um, sorry, that's because I'm in DC. Hear the fire engines. <laughs> and then I went and had some blood work done and I had uh, hormone all the various hormone levels uh, tested. And that, this is actually yeah. just recently. And yeah. um, I'm actually much more in the perimenopausal phase. Yeah. <laughs> I am not actually. You're not in menopause, no, right? It's probably less menopause and more stress, uh, stress. Yes. than anything else. Uh, I just recently start cycling again. So I'm now I've got my menstrual cycle again. I'm having more energy. It seems my yeah. hormones are starting to balance out. Go figure. Stress yep. affects Stress. hormones. Yeah. So you kind of think, you know, as female practitioners, we are, um, most of us are strong in what we do, strong women. And so, yes, we are in probably in every area of our life, we're strong and we're being strong in our jobs and and so there is stress. There is a whole lot of stress. And the, so then I would say, well, your practice should be the place where the stress is relieving, is releasing, not stacking on. So if you're stressed and you have a high-powered job, 
your practice should might just be a little bit more mellow to support the stress that you're in so that when you go do your job, you're just a little bit happier or a little bit more even. But if you're in a high-powered job and you're coming in doing this high-powered yoga, there's these two stresses in your life that are going to send you, spin you out. And that's not, that's not healthy. So in, I guess in a sense, we, we do, we take ourselves into that place. But I think as teachers, we should also be kind of putting the mirror up and go, hey, can you look at this a little bit? Because you're spinning out here on your mat and you're spinning out in your life. And there's no, there's no soft place. And I think as women, we need that soft place because that's where our intuition is. We stop listening to our intuition. We stop listening to ourselves. So David, in a sense, was saying the exact right thing. You need to listen to yourself. You need to turn around and stop seeking the answer outside. It's all inside. We need to look inside. Yeah, it was really interesting. I did. I can't, it's, it's funny because I made like lots of different shifts and, you know, mm-hmm. started seeing an acupuncturist. I, I did a practice that felt good for me. Um, and I got, I was getting on my mat every day and I was leaving my mat feeling, um, good, soft, you know, a little bit less stressed. And, you know, I come home and my daughter's outside doing handstands after her practice. You know, she's she's 22. She's She's in her twenties. You go for it. Do it. Yeah. I'm like, clearly yeah. you need more to do on your mind. Yeah. 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 Um, I was thinking that, I was thinking that the other day that, um, that's also part of when I'm teaching, I have to be careful. I don't get all mellow on the 20 year olds <laughs> and be like, Oh, it's okay. You can rest. It's all right. No, you're fine. I'm like, no, jump back. <laughs> jump back. You're 20. You go for it. I'm right. Like, no. I can't get all perimenopausal and menopausal on my younger students. I'm right. really careful about that where I'm not just all like, Oh, it's okay. And just let, let it go. I'm like, no, no, this, we, you, you need to do a little bit more because you can, you know, and you're going to heal faster and you're going to feel, you're going to get energized from this and be enthusiastic, you know, and it's not going to, it's not going to drag you down. So we have to kind of adjust our teaching accordingly. I think it's such a blessing though, to have a range like we do. And yes. I think part of that for me does come from being a mom. Yeah. Um, and having a daughter. Yeah. I mean, I have a son yes. as well and it's, it, you know, but it's, it, there is, um, there's something about that that drives it home and yeah. creates this range within okay. you to be yeah. able to see all the various different. Right. Right. places people can be and where you are. Yeah. You can't parent two kids the same way either. Right. <laughs> you free. No, you, no. Yeah, you can't, you can't, but it, yoga has helped me to be a much better parent. I think if I wasn't doing yoga and I wasn't self-reflecting on my yoga mat of all these things that are going on, I would probably just be a raging mom because I, I do, I, I flare up very easily. I get kind of heightened anger and it's, and it's often around kind of those, uh, hormone spikes or falls and I'm much better at seeing it and then kind of warning everybody, you know, I might be a little bit crazy over the next couple of days. My daughter who's 11, she's kind of entering into that. So I'm like, sometimes I'm like, we're kind of doing this together. Do you see I'm as crazy as you are? And then in like maybe a week or so, we're both going to feel great. And we do. And she's like, wow. Yeah. Um, so, and again, but it's not an excuse, but it certainly is. It's if I don't practice, I, I'm crazy. I'm a crazy person. So that's, you say, why do you practice? 
because I'm a much better mother if I practice. I just kind of get all of my angst or all that kind of, I can't, there's some days I just want to, I want to escape my body. It's like, I just am so uncomfortable in my body when I'm going through stuff. And if I can practice and get some of that angst out or just that kind of out of body yucky feeling, I just get it out of me. I'm just way better in the afternoon. No, I'm with you. Yeah. Well, now I, I, I told you I was going to have a, a more, uh, another specific question. Yeah. I'm on this C-section kick. I can't believe okay. that when you said you had a C-section, I'm like, yeah. oh. Um, <laughs> right. So I was working with Christine, and I've always known this about myself, that I, I've always told people I have very strong abdominal muscles, and I'm yeah. blessed. You can see the muscle musculature, and I say, don't compliment it. Because right. I'm telling you, means I'm using something. It's a little bit right. superficial. I'm missing right. something that's deeper. Um, yeah. So, and they laugh, and everybody laughs at me. But this being said, I've always kind of known that that there's a sort of dead spot. Yeah. Um, and I can't believe I didn't make this connection in so many ways. But the dead spot, obviously, below my navel. You know, it's very hard for me to access that drawing in. I access it from a little bit higher. So whatever you might want to talk about bandhas, you know, that drawing upward, I access it kind of high, higher, right? Maybe you access it in, do you access it into your psoas muscle or do you feel like it's more center? It's more center. And so I can get into the psoas and I can get in low, but I start it higher. So it's okay. almost like a pulling up right? rather than a scoop. scoop. So, so that I would say you need to work more on mula. Right. On that connection of mula bandha, uh, the, the low connection up into the first layer of abdominals, you know, from pubic bone up towards your navel. Yes. That's, That's where the C-section scar is. Right. Right. Yes. So... The C's, when you have a C-section, they, they, from your navel down to the pubic bone, they, it's like a, I had a, a, one of my students who's a doctor, she said they basically, I think, put their finger in just below the navel, and then it's like a zipper, it just unzips, and it's quite, I guess it's just connective tissue um, that keep those two sides together. So they're separating the abdominal muscles in order to get to the uterus, Um now, after you have a baby, to, so the, and then there's the superficial scar of the outside, which is the skin and fascia. Like now, are you talking about the, there's a lateral? Yes, lateral. Now, I yes. have a horizontal one. No, no, so the lateral, lateral happens anyway because they have to go from navel down to pubic bone to, uh, to separate the abdominals. And then there's the horizontal cut. I have a horizontal from hip bone to hip bone. They cut horizontally in order to get to open everything up to get to the abdominals, right? So there, so the horizontal is really that's kind of a superficial. Uh, oh. The the center line of your abdominals that's where it's devastating. So this, but but the superficial. I say superficial. I'll just say the outside, the scar from say hip bone to hip bone across. That's I have that same thing. My right side is the scar, it's very nubbly. The left side, you almost can't see anymore. It's kind of healed very well. So, but 
what it is, is that the center line is the hard part. It's where your abdominal muscles return or come back together and heal together. If they don't knit well together, then it's very hard for them to communicate with each other. That's my experience is that um, my abdominal muscles came back pretty well. And I have a, I have a, an experience of quite a deep scoop when I do Udiana, but it's coming from Mula Bunda. If my Mula is not strong, I cannot find Udiana. So, and then for women, Mula Bunda, it's pubic bone to tailbone. We have three separate areas. We have the front, middle, and the back. And, um, these, and for the, for guys, they only have front and back. They don't have the vagina, the middle section, right? So for women, we have this whole other area that is, that can be very, very strong. For some women, it's not strong. Um, but I always encourage women to find from the front to the back in that middle section. So you've got, uh, vagina to anus, and then there's the perineum between those two areas. That whole area, especially middle, can be drawn up and in towards the top of the head. These are this is basic like Kegel exercises. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm yeah. following you, totally following. So, but from finding that those middle muscles, middle to back muscles, that for me and in my experience, if I can find that middle section, and then what happens is like a bowl or like a banana shape. It kind of goes up towards pubic bone, tailbone, and then it connects to my lower central line abdominals and then it goes into psoas and then I get kind of this scoopy lifty thing but it all starts with mula with the with the pelvic floor this is really this is really interesting I just like my little kick right I don't actually think it's not David and I were talking about I don't think it's like gone I right. think but I've been asking other women of course because you know I had to like immediately put out a thing on Facebook and find out right. like how um <laughs> <laughs> we all go numb in that area. It's like it got in what? Okay, so in what area? So the right where the scar is. Not that I'm gonna pull that, but like okay. right here, right. So you yes. just like you yes. because you can't really it's, see it. It's um, numb. Yeah. in my mind. It's like it's there. I don't think it really came in contact, but I became very strong everywhere else right. and learned how to. But bypass the area. It's actually was until Christine said you access it higher. And I right. said, yeah, I wonder if that's just because of a C-section, two of them, you know, like I'm wondering right. if I just, and she said, I don't know. And then that made me think about it. And I thought, well, I wonder if I can bring any awareness to it. And when I realized when I went to that place, physical touch, it's still a little numb. It's still like, right. not so, even- yeah. So mine, mine also is it's, it's numb. Uh, and I still get those tingling, kind of itchy sensations sometimes on that right side, where clearly more was disturbed on that right side when they were giving me the C-section. Um, that's where you need somebody to actually hold you there. So when you're in an asana, you need a hands-on adjustment to be able to actually access it. So that's what exactly. I do. Yeah, I go in there with women who have, whether it's regardless, whether they've had C-sections or not, um, babies or not, I'm often in there with my fingers just below the navel, kind of getting them or a full hand just below the navel, getting, um, getting them to just be aware of that area. And I think especially after babies, after C-sections, you need somebody to actually physically touch you there so that your mind goes, Oh, there, that's where I need to be focusing. Yes. And if you don't have that, then 
uh, it can be very elusive. It's like, it's like, it's, this, I, cause it's a very much of a void. And then when you have your period and it's very heavy, it's really hard to access because it's already, you've got that, you know, your uterus is heavy. It's hot. Um, everything already is that feeling of falling out. So then it's hard to find, for me, it's really hard to find the mula, find the, the middle muscles rising. Um, so then it becomes, then for me, it becomes much more muscular. I, my muscles take over and it's less energetic. No, you're saying exactly. I realize that I've been now, now for the past few weeks, I've been putting my own hands there and, and yeah. even, yeah. even taking castor oil and kind of rubbing right. around on that spot as, as yeah. Christine had said. But by bringing, and I don't know if the castor oil helps, but by actually bringing physical sensation outside of me, I'm now beginning to make connections that I haven't been, it's been a dead zone. And whether it's really, I mean, you know, good thing I know so little about anatomy and physiology, so I have no idea um, what's possible and what's not. All I know is that I lost some sense uh, that for a long time, yes, I access it higher. So I made it so that I didn't have to go there, but I do because they're, you know, and then the other thing I'd say to you is that you have to take it away from the muscle. You have to take it to the energy of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So that mula lifting to the navel drawing down to that, that connection of where mula and Udiyanabanda connect that is an energetic connection that is less to do with muscle. So it's like you have to start to trust that there is something in there and that you can tap into it and maybe putting your hand on your tummy and feeling, okay, that like, that's the pathway, but that's the pathway. That's where, yeah, that's where you need to, that's, I tell women, that's where we kind of need to go with our practices to be able to, so it's not just a muscular practice. Right. So I've been using very strong abdominal muscles to right. draw up from down there. And I was like, yeah. whoa. And, and I asked, when I asked other people who had not had babies mm-hmm. and men, they immediately will say they access it from low. But when I ask yeah. women who have specifically ones that have had C-sections, they generally access it a little uh-huh. higher. Right. Um, right. But then as I call attention to it, as we have, you can go back into that area. Yes. And I mean, I would say that before I had kids, my, I had kind of six pack abdominals. I had very strong abdominals. Um, after having my first daughter and the twins and the twins, my, my tummy was massive. I I was huge. Um, my bundas were so lost. Udiana was just so lost. And I have a much better, a much stronger bunda connection now because of that. But I've worked at it. And I can definitely feel it. And it's like when I'm in an asana and I'm doing something, I'm just screaming in my head, bandhas. I'm just, I'm just in there screaming, bandhas, bandhas, bandhas. And then something happens and all of a sudden I'm floating and I'm like, I'm not muscling it. I can feel my abdominals are scooping. And then I know I'm doing it. So it's really just trusting that it's there, making that physical connection, but then trusting that the internal energetic work is there. And... You know, I'd say, but this, the starting place would be to put your hand on your belly and start to think, okay, that's where it's deep inside there. And I can access that. Right. Isn't that the yoga we were talking about that? You have that it's, an, it becomes an external practice to bring you an internal experience. And then, yes. we yeah. so then the you ex- can do the external. <laughs> yeah. It's just cycling all around. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm glad you, I'm glad we got a chance to talk about that. It's so timely because today's yeah. been my day that I've been all about oh, it. And it's like perfect. And when you said you had a C-section, I'm like, I have to ask her. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let me take you back. Um, probably a lot of what we talk about today, there's three different podcasts that I'm uh, interviewing different people for. One is going to be completely on women's issues. Um, yeah. And I think that's like super important. And I actually don't think it gets talked about enough. And I don't blame it on it being a patriarchal practice. I'm right. Right. not really interested in going down that road. But I would say... and or maybe you would, that uh, because we have because we have a squiggly line. Yeah. I like that. It, it is. I have a squiggly Found line. That. Yeah. There's fewer voices that are female that are not young yes. and just that, right? There's fewer mature voices yes. of women. Yes. And I, yeah, that's, I'm, that's where I said way at the beginning of this interview, I'm, I'm finding my soapbox. I'm finding that I am less afraid to say stuff because I'm at that stage in my life where it's like, I really don't care if you like me or you don't like me, but I have some really important information that you need to stick in your brain. Even if you're 20 or 30, stick it in your brain, store it somewhere deep inside. So when you start to go through this stuff, there's going to be that little voice that's like, oh, I remember that teacher once said, you know, and I need to remember that or I need to look it up um, because this is not talked about. It's not talked about enough. And I think for those of us that are in this stage that, that can speak, we should start to speak because we have the experience, you know, and then we can empower these younger women to see that. Um, wherever you are, you're not by yourself. And then also for our students who are older, you know, you're not by yourself. You need to maintain that strength because it's like for the women in their fifties going into sixties and then beyond, we need the strength. I want to be a vibrant, strong woman. I don't want to become hunchback and, you know, doddering around. I want to be vibrant. And I, maybe especially cause I, my kids are younger. I want to continue to be strong. I want to be a good example for them. I want to participate in what they're doing. Um, so, yeah, so I, I, it, it's like I feel like this is it, it is our time um, that, that we should start to talk about this more and we should bring it out in the open. Um, for male practitioners, male students, it's really hard, though, because they don't have any concept. And in a sense, they almost don't want to know. Um, what we're going through and fair enough. But I think for male teachers, they should also start to listen and take some advice and figure it out, look it up, understand, uh, study a little bit, ask questions. I feel lucky with my husband because we're, we're constantly sounding, you know, we're sounding boards for each other. I'm asking him what he's going through and it's pretty much, you know, it's just, it's a steady, you know, incline. Um, but he's much more patient and much more understanding of, of my, of me and our other students. Um, so, you know, I think for male teachers, they should start to listen because it's really unhelpful when you have a male teacher who says something to you that is really inappropriate. They might not think it's inappropriate, but it just cuts you to the core and makes you feel horrible about being a woman. And it's like, then I'm apologizing for being a woman. And I'm like, no, 
I don't have to apologize for anything. You know, we're different and we have different experiences. And my, my experience is just as valid as every, everybody else's. Um, you know, so that's my, and like, we should start to shout a little bit and explain and, you know, talk about these things. I'm, I'm really glad. I'm really glad you're ballsy and I'm so glad you are. <laughs> I, I, ha- I wasn't, I wasn't a few years ago. I'm, I had a student who, um, I worked on a project a couple of years ago, kind of segue or change of subject just for a moment. Um, she died of cancer a couple of years ago. Um, she was the person who, when she was going through the cancer, she ended up at one point not being able to practice. At the point that she couldn't walk into the studio, she became my teacher um, because I was her asana teacher and then I couldn't, I couldn't perform my role. So then she, it, it really, I just realized quite recently that our role switched. She became my teacher. And one of the things that she said to me was, you need to get out there and stop hiding behind your walls. You need to get out there. So thankfully for her, I'd say it's, it's because of her that I've really started to kind of get out there and, and, and say, say more, um, you know, just create more workshops where we can have these discussions. We can talk about things. Um, so yeah, if you had caught me, I probably wouldn't be having this interview with you if it was say two years, two, three years ago. So talk about good timing, you know, just hearing things, seeing things on Facebook, me emailing you. It's like, it's, it's the right time for me to be coming out. Cause I'm, I think I'm just more comfortable talking about this stuff and I feel much more empowered after kind of living my promise to that student that I was going to kind of stand up for myself and stop hiding. I'm that's glad. Why, that's why I'm here. <laughs> well, yeah. I know I'm really glad you're here and I, I know that I'm not the only one. Yeah, you're not. <laughs> We're doing this together. Thanks for tuning in. Before I close, I want to take a moment and thank you for your support of the show. You know, I read your reviews on iTunes and the personal messages you send me, and they touch my heart. Once, when I was in Mysore, I overheard two people talking about this podcast, not even knowing it was me behind them. It's a small yoga world, but with an enormously big heart. So thank you. Thank you for taking this grassroots podcast and turning it into one of the top yoga interview podcasts now on iTunes. And to our wonderful friends who are supporting our show through their monthly contributions over at patreon.com. Your $5 a month helps us cover the cost of production, which can be significant. With your support, we will be able to offer more interviews with more teachers and with better quality. If you love the show, please consider becoming a member by visiting patreon.com backslash Ashtanga Dispatch. That's patreon.com backslash Ashtanga Dispatch. The Ashtanga Dispatch podcast is edited and produced by Chris Lucas and hosted by me, Peg Queen. Look for the next Ashtanga Dispatch magazine to be released later this month, as well as a special inaugural podcast with Carol Horton. Sending you lots of love from my home here in snowy Montana this brand new year. 
See you next time. Vishwasham